0: We're going to start in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. It says, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came to this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So the first abundance blocker is lack of contentment. You see, when reading this scripture, you may imagine an impoverished life, one where you have barely enough food to survive, And maybe a few changes of clothes, so you don't have to walk around stinky or naked, you know. And you know, considering we've been taught that Christians are supposed to be poor, this scripture seems to confirm it, doesn't it? But what's interesting is the original Greek word for content, which is archaeo, means to be possessed of unfailing strength. I've never known somebody living in poverty to appear possessed of unfailing strength. I know when I barely had enough to pay the bills, I surely didn't display strength. I actually felt quite insecure. So let's continue on with this section of scripture so the truth can really come alive. It says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So this is a contrast of the content person that we're supposed to be. So it said people who long to be rich. So when you long for something, you can't get your mind off of it. It's what you live for. It's what you do. And it also said people who crave money. Think of a pregnant woman who's craving something to eat. Nothing is going to stop her from getting it. So when you crave money, nothing is going to stop you from getting it. Even if you have to take advantage of people, even if you have to leave your family behind in the dust because all you care about is your job. You know, you'd think people who devote their lives to this, to money like this, would have a lot of it, right? But this scripture shows us that all it ends in is ruin and destruction. Not a good destination, if you ask me. So what's the point here? Does God want us to live in poverty? No. Here's the whole point of this scripture. God wants us to be content regardless of our financial state. So in other words, our contentment should in no way be tied to money. Yet we tend to put our contentment somewhere in the future when we have more money. I'll be happy when I have a bigger house. I'll be happy when I have a new car. I'll be happy when I finally get my kitchen remodeled. Now, don't look at me like you've never thought these things before, because I know that you have. But what we have to realize is it's these very things that rob us from God's abundance in our lives. He needs us to get to a place where we are content, not because we have a lot of money, but because of who we are in him. When Beth and I were a few months away from having our second baby, we 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 realized we needed a different home. See, the house we had had plenty of room to raise a family, but the problem was I also ran my business out of the house, and having my office next to the baby's bedroom just really wasn't working that well. So we found the perfect house where the upstairs could be my office and the downstairs could be where we lived, providing great separation between the two spaces. And it was on this plot of land that I seriously believe that God designed just for me. You see, I'm kind of an outdoorsy guy, and I love to go hiking. And behind our house, this is at our new house, like beyond that trampoline there, I can walk through an opening and go walk a trail through the woods. It's awesome. But the only problem was, the price was a little bit out of my comfort zone. (laughs) Or a lot out of our comfort zone. And so I ran the numbers over and over and over. I'm like, Beth, it fits into the budget. But I can be a little bit of a tightwad. So I'm like sitting here weighing out. Do I, do I let my business suffer to save, a, save some money? Or do I invest in a better space so that my business can flourish? Before putting in an offer, I remember asking Beth. I said, Beth, if we get this house, and for some reason we're unable to pay for it anymore, is it going to be detrimental for you To have to move to a smaller house? Remember that question? I didn't know it at the time, but this is the question God was using to measure where our commitment or where our contentment was. Was it in the house that we lived in or was it in God? You see, we learned earlier that contentment is synonymous with unfailing strength. So when our contentment is sourced in God, not in what we own or how big our bank account is. Our life is a walking billboard of strength. That in itself is great abundance. Don't misunderstand. This scripture does not say that Christians are supposed to live in poverty. But if your contentment comes from money, or you're waiting to be content until you have more money, that's the very thing that's keeping abundance from coming into your life. So pursue contentment in Christ, and financial abundance will be the side effect so let's move on to the second abundance blocker, comparison. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 says, "'Aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside,' talking about unbelievers, and that you may lack nothing." Have you ever noticed how life tends to be a comparison game? You know, when somebody asks you what you do for work, most of the time, they're just trying to figure out if they have a better job than you or not. And probably the most intense comparison game that goes on is parents talking about their children. Well, my son plays football, and he gets straight A's. What does yours do? Well, my baby started crawling at six months old. Is your baby crawling yet? This reminds me of a story of two siblings. So one was always ahead of what the doctors deem as a normal development. They were at the top of the growth charts. They talked early. They knew their whole alphabet by the time they were two and could even write a few letters by the time they were two and a half. Then the others seemed to be falling behind. Their weight kept falling lower and lower on the growth chart. It was time for them to crawl according to what was normal, but they didn't want to. They were content just to sit there and chill. You may have figured it out already, but this is the story of my two girls, Leanna and Adeline. You see, Beth and I were just having a discussion about how hard it is not to compare Adeline's growth to Leanna's. Often we'll, often we'll pull up our phone and we'll look at where Leanna was at the same age that Adeline is now. And she progressed a lot faster. So, for example, at nine months old, Leanna was an 18 month close. <laughs> Adeline, at nine months old, is in nine month close with room to spare. So during our discussion, Beth and I realized that this is our chance to learn not to compare one kid with the other, because each and every one of our kids are going to have different strengths. They're all going to be different. And these differences should be celebrated, not used for comparison. So with this in mind, let's go back and read the first part of that verse. Aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with whose hands? Your neighbor's hands. No, to work with your own hands. So this is explaining a life where we don't measure ourselves by other people. Because when we compare ourselves, we limit what God wants to do in our life. Because we're too busy trying to live somebody else's life. We tend to look to our parents, or to television, or to other people to show us how to live, when all we should be looking at is the Word of God. You see, comparison tricks us into thinking that God's blessings are in limited supply. Because when Carrie wins, I lose, right? Comparison also pulls us into what's going on around us. If there's a recession, then you have to participate, right? If your grandpa died of heart disease, then you're probably going to die of heart disease, right? No, we have a choice. We can live either according to the world's system or we can live according to God's system, You see, the world system says, tag along with the recession, everybody's going to be affected by this, except the flu, because everybody else gets it, and it's flu season after all, right? You see, heaven doesn't go through recessions. Heaven doesn't have a flu season. Heaven doesn't hand down disease and cancer to other people. The problem is we believe what the news says more than we believe what God's word says. So when there's a recession, we cut back our giving because we might need that money. But according to God's system, that's the worst thing you can do because God's system says, when you sow, you reap. The world system says, you need to hoard so that you can have enough. So the best way... For you to step out of the world system and into God's system when a recession hits is to give more. That's just a bonus tip for you guys. I'm not, I'm not going to spend too much time on that. We're not in a recession right now, but I can guarantee you that one's going to come up. And so now when the next one comes, you guys are going to know what to do. Okay. So remember how we just talked about the importance of contentment, that first one we talked about? Well, here's what's interesting. Comparison is out to steal your contentment. If you're busy comparing yourself to others, when they get a better car, you better know you're going to lose your contentment. And all you're going to be able to think about is when you get a new car. And when you lose your contentment, you step out of God's plan for abundance and into the world's attempt at abundance. And all you end up with is debt, insecurity, and disappointment. You see, comparison's a trap and there's nothing beneficial to it. So I want you to refuse to measure yourself Against others, don't allow yourself to feel inferior around those who think they are better than you. I don't care if they have a house ten, to- ten times the size of yours. I don't care if they have a successful business. I don't care if they're a doctor, I don't care if they're a multimillionaire millionaire. You walk up to them, walk up to them knowing that you are just as valuable as they are because of who you are in Christ. You see, it doesn't matter if they believe it or not. What matters is if you believe it or not. Do you believe that you're valuable because of what the word of God says about you? So on the flip side, don't even entertain the thought that you're better than somebody else. There's always going to be somebody who has less than you. There's always going to be somebody who is missing a skill that you have. But you're not better than them. And here's why we mind our own business and work with our own hands and stop the comparison game that you may walk properly towards those who are outside. It affects your witness. And that you may lack nothing. Let's move on to the third one, debt. Okay, so a study by Pew Charitable Trust found that eight out of 10 Americans have some form of debt. And seven out of 10 believe that debt is necessary, but would prefer not to have it. Yet 85% of those with debt use it to live beyond their means. Isn't that interesting? And get this, although most Americans consider debt a necessity in their own lives, they view it as a negative force in the lives of others. Pretty typical of human behavior right there, right? The bottom line is we want stuff we can't afford, and debt allows us to get it, and to get it right now. Remember our talk on contentment, regardless of your financial state? It's now becoming clear that everything we talk about today is finding its way back to contentment. You see, the biggest wealth killer today is our beloved car payment. (laughs) We love our cars, and we love to take out loans on cars so that we can get the car that we want. After all, everybody has a car payment, right? The average car payment is $475 a month on a six-year loan. Then before we actually pay it off, we trade that in for a massive loss, on the next new car and the payment continues. But if we would have invested that $475 into a good growth stock mutual fund, you would have over $100,000 in 10 years. Keep it going for 20 years and you'd have $470,000. What happens if we keep it going for 30? $1.6 million. Instead, over that 30 years, the average American would have financed about four cars, totaling about $104,000 plus an additional 50 dollars to $60,000 in interest. So in other words, you left $1.6 million on the table at the end of this 30 years because you decided to drive new cars instead of invest. As Dave Ramsey would say, I hope you like the car. <laughs> now we do have a car salesman, and I don't see him today. He's at a car sales event. So I was going to offer him a disclaimer and say, hey, Kyle, you know, I know you sell cars. And if people want to take out loans on cars, you probably shouldn't try to talk it out of them because it's their choice anyway. What this message today is for everybody in this room. When you guys want to go buy a new car, what you do is you save up money and you take your cash and you go see Kyle. And you say, Kyle, I'm here to buy a car and I'm going to pay cash because I know if I take out a loan, you might tell Cade. Let's read this scripture, Proverbs twenty-two seven. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. So here's the deal. We go into debt to try to find contentment. And in the process, we give up our freedom. The worst thing is what we went into debt for may have provided a few moments of the feel goods. So oh, that was fun. But then it ends. So in the end, it was a lose-lose. You didn't win. So how do you get out of debt? The first step is to stop adding more debt. So cut up the credit cards, commit to only buying cars and cash. Don't take out loans on furniture or any of that. If you don't have cash to buy it, don't buy it. Now to pay off your existing debt, I want you to go to nolimits.church slash debt snowball. And what this is going to lead you to is an article by Dave Ramsey that walks you through a process for getting out of debt. It's actually a really simple process, we just don't have time to go into it today. So if you want to, go ahead and write down that link. Hold on, I'm going to pause here. And we're also, um, we're going to do Financial Peace University here, starting August 1st, which we walk through this process and a whole bunch of other things. So it's a nine-week program, August 1st, we'll tell you when to sign up. It's going to be awesome, looking forward to it i got to give a quick plug. It just came to my mind. So uh, Stan and Sandy went to financial peace. And it's because of financial peace that they pulled out life insurance on Stan several years ago, unknowing you know, what was going to happen. And now Sandy is taken care of because they went to that class and took the steps that are outlined in that class. So that's just a shameless plug right there for Financial Peace University. It, it'll change your life. All right, we're going to move on. Abundance blocker number four, lack of focus. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance and advantage, but everyone who acts in haste, which is unnecessary, thoughtless, and quick action, comes surely to poverty. Okay, so the Hebrew word for plans here also means curious work, imagination, innovation, The Hebrew word for diligent means determination, sharp pointed, a trench that's been dug out because you keep going over the same area over and over and over. So in other words, what we're saying here is the curious work of those who stay focused will surely lead them to abundance and advantage. On the other hand, those who live life on a whim, buying whatever they want, jumping from job to job are going to end up in poverty. You know, that may be a normal thing to do, but it's not God's plan for your life. You see, God wants to pour creative ideas into you. He wants your work to be full of purpose, full of curiosity and imagination, and fully focused. Problem is, we get busy working jobs that we don't really like, to pay for things that we couldn't afford, all because that's what everybody else is doing. You see, in Andrew Womack's book, Don't Limit God, he says, if you're not excited about getting up on Monday and going to work, or if you get excited on Friday because you don't have to work the next two days, you haven't found God's will for your life. The world system says you've made it when you get an eight eight to five job, Monday through Friday with two weeks of vacation pay. It doesn't matter if you don't like it, that's just what we do. In the world system, you have to trade in your dreams for this so-called security in a steady paycheck. During my first year at Rhema Bible School, I realized the importance of Beth going to Rhema as well. You see, Beth was the sole provider at that point, and she was holding down a really stable Monday through Friday, eight to five job. So I took her to lunch one day, and I was like, Beth, the next school year, you're going to quit your job, and you're going to go to Rhema with me. She looked at me and she said, You're crazy. <laughs> but I didn't give her a choice. Okay, listen, I don't I don't I'm not the type of husband that like really puts my foot down all the time and says, What you're gonna do. But this was one of those times because I felt really strongly about it. I said, Beth, this isn't a choice. You're gonna quit your job and you're gonna go to Rhema. So one day I was cleaning the church when we were like a mile down the street in that other business strip center. And I noticed that a new business was going in next door. So I was like, hey, I'll go talk to the owner and see if he's looking for any part-time workers. So I went and talked to him, and I got Beth a job that day with a schedule that would work with her school schedule and would pay more than what she was making at her current job. Pretty sweet deal, right? It's like God orchestrated the whole thing. So she quit her job, started the new job, and went to Ramah. And then one day, Beth walked into work, and her boss said, the business is closing. Go home and don't come back. Well, it turns out her boss had been embezzling money, and the IRS found out and came and shut them down. Wait, wasn't this the ideal job that God had brought to us? How could God let this happen to two Bible school students? (laughs) But you know what we learned from this situation? That the world system only provides a false sense of security. Yet they ask you to give up on your dreams, what you're called to do in return. Am I saying that God did this to us to teach us that lesson? Absolutely not. He knew it was going to happen though. And he knew that we were going to grow from it. You see, the world system is really a crappy deal. It's it's really not that good. So, how do you get out of it? You got to stop the busyness, you got to stop the unnecessary, thoughtless, and quick action. And then you got to take your quieted mind before God and let Him pour in His plan for your life. Because I'd almost. Guarantee that most of us in this room haven't taken time to get quiet before God and listen because we're busy working our eight to five job, going into more debt, paying our credit cards, maybe. So you got to take the time to imagine the type of work that brings you fulfillment, peace and joy, because that's the exact work that God has called you to do. And it's going to look different for each and every one of us. The only difference between somebody who's walking in that and somebody who's not is the person who's walking in it actually took the time to imagine what that would look like and they ran after it. Because then you have to get determined and you have to get focused. You got to keep doing what you're called to do and trust God for the provision. Even when it seems like it's not working, you got to stay focused. You got to Dig that trench out because you're doing the same thing over and over and over because you know that God has called you to do that and you're trusting him that he's going to bring the provision. Now, I'm not saying that you just like keep doing the same little things over and over and over that aren't bringing any fruit in your life, but you stay focused on the vision that God's put. He may change you know, the way you do something or the, slightly change the direction you're going, but I'm just talking overall. If God's called you to be a photographer, then you run after photography like nothing else and you dig that trench I'm a photographer, I'm a photographer I'm a photographer if he's called you to be a car salesman you keep running after that and keep running after that, dig that trench so you remember what we just read, the curious work of those who stay focused will surely surely lead them to abundance and advantage there's no question there, surely what do you got to do? Imagine yourself doing the kind of work that God's called you to do. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your thoughts and stay focused. Two things. You can do it. You know, it's interesting because all of this leads back to contentment. So when you're doing something you're not called to do just to earn a paycheck, you lack contentment. So you buy things you can't afford to try to find contentment. And all this leads is into debt. Then you compare yourselves to others, hoping this will at least make you feel a little better. But it doesn't and your discontentment grows. And a lack of contentment is the very thing that keeps us from experiencing abundance. So to bring it all together, let's reread the scripture we started with. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came to this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So here's your next step. I want you to be content regardless of your financial state. Don't let your contentment be tied to money whatsoever. It's a choice. And one that you have to make every day until it becomes a way of life. You see, contentment is a prerequisite to abundance. You won't find your way to abundance without it. You got to find your contentment through Christ so that God can pour abundance into your life.